0: Uh, we can only book it at two because obviously they have a, they have a meeting in the morning, um, but I, I don't think that time will be more than an hour, but I think it will be a, just a wonderful uh, celebration. And so what we'll do is we'll go over there and um, hear the testimonies, have the baptisms, and we'll pray for people when we're there. And so um, I think the welcome team have brought a little bit extra food, because so, uh, obviously it just makes the day a little bit longer than we would normally have, um, so you can um, tuck into that afterwards you want. Um, we've been going through a series in uh, Genesis, and the last few weeks have been looking at the story of Joseph. And we've been sort of just unpacking this story. Um, um, many of us will know Joseph because uh, you know Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice wrote a uh, musical called Joseph in His Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, which is a big favourite of mine. If I'm honest, um, that's not why we're doing the series, but it is. I genuinely love that. Um, and we've entitled this series, Joseph, God Meant It For Good. And there's a reason why we've done that, is because there's something in me that, that really wants us to understand, and for me to understand, and for us to understand, that, that often, even the difficult circumstances we go through in life, God, God means it for good. And, and the story of Joseph ends there. It ends with Joseph saying to his brothers, you did all of this to harm me, but God did it for good. You did it to harm me, but God meant it for good. And so that's the sort of underlying theme of, of our series, that God meant it for good. And and I want us to get a real grip and understanding on how God can use difficult and trying circumstances. He can use our hurt and our pains to fulfil his purposes, that he can do that. Because if you don't think that, then all you think is that if it's difficult, it's not God. And if it's going well, it is God. And so when it's difficult, I need to find a way out, get out of it. But actually, that's not how God works. God uses our pains and our difficulties for his purposes. So this week, um, the, the story, if you like, takes a bit of a turn. Um, we've looked at Joseph and his brothers, um, and where they sort of rejected him and sold him into slavery, and what that would have been like for him. Uh, we then looked at um, Joseph with, with Potiphar, in Potiphar's house and with Potiphar's wife, and the fact that really... It wasn't so much that he was tempted by her, but he was harassed by her. And then he went into prison unjustly, and then uh, last week Phil uh, looked at um, Joseph in prison and the fact that he he had this sense of just being completely hemmed in, unable to do anything, and how he responded. And so this week it takes a bit of a turn um, because Joseph comes out of prison, and to be honest, The whole reason we know about the story of Joseph is because of chapter 41 in Genesis. That had chapter 41 not happened, I'm not sure we would have been here talking about a man who was sold into slavery, a man who was unjustly accused, and a man who went to prison. That happens all the time. Um, But it's not often that that man then gets exalted to the place that Joseph got to. And that's what makes the story uh, something that uh, that, that, that comes to us. And if we get time... This morning we will look at some remarkable similarities between the story of Joseph that we've been looking at and the story of Jesus that we know about and how this is a mirror of this and it's quite uncanny the way that is. So hopefully we'll, we'll get there. So our reading today is uh, Genesis chapter 41. I'm, I'm going to jump around the chapter, verse 1, verse 8 to 16. And then verse 37 to the end of the chapter. So uh, stay with me if you can. Genesis chapter 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. I won't go into the details of the dream, but in verse 8, he said, it says this. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own, Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So jumping forward to verse 37. Of oh, verse thirty-eight, I'll start. So Pharaoh asked them, his officials, "Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God?" Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Since God has made known, has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders." Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphoneth Paneah and gave him Aseneth, daughter of Potiphira, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, are, we come and we come open to you that you would speak to us out of this story and by your spirit. And I, I pray that you, that you would bring revelation to us that, Father, there would be something that we understand a little bit more of who you are and what you're like, because it makes such a difference if we understand that, if we have a true perspective of what God is like. It really helps us in our everyday lives. So I pray, Father, that you would uh, speak to people today, that you would use even some of the words that I say. In Jesus' name, amen. Prior to Pharaoh, uh, to Joseph meeting Pharaoh, uh, two truths emerge from this story—the story that we've looked at over the last few weeks. And I'm just going to summarise those two truths. And in some ways, you might think oh, I'm just repeating st- stuff. And in some ways, that is very deliberate to repeat because I-, I honestly think if we get this, it will make such a difference to how you live your life if you understand this. And if you don't understand it. It will also make a difference as to how you live your life. And, and the first truth that emerges is this God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. Um, and uh, he may be powerful. We often read about God, God, and he's powerful. He's mighty to save. He's, he's glorious. He created the universe. That, that God's up there with the best of them, if you like. Yeah? But he chose to work. Through a man. He chooses to work through a vulnerable, frail mankind like us. And we would do, way to re- we would do well to recognise that. That though God is all-powerful, he chooses to work in a particular way. He can do anything, but he chooses to do things in a particular way. And the story of Joseph helps us see that. God was with Joseph. God shapes and uses Joseph common people in real circumstances to do his purposes. That's what he does. And so what that means is sometimes you might be in a position in your life where the very opposite of what you think is happening is happening. You think it's all going wrong, but actually for God, it's all going right. Yeah. So Joseph was there, wasn't he? When Joseph was thrown into the pit... Um, we read in, in chapter 42 of Genesis, his brothers recount that story and they say, we saw how distressed he was, how he pleaded for his life. So Joseph is not at that point thinking to himself, I'm in the middle of the purposes of God, hallelujah. Yeah? Joseph is about to be thrown into the pit, he pleads with his brothers, don't do it, don't do it, please. He pleads with them, but they throw him in the pit anyway and it says that they sat down and had a meal. And that's quite callous. They throw their brother in a pit and they sit down and they have lunch. It's quite callous. Joseph himself could have wondered, what on earth is this? This cannot be the fulfilment of those dreams. It can't be. They're trying to kill me. This doesn't make any sense. How can this have anything to do with the dreams that I've had about all that God is going to do? And what we can do is when we go through difficulty like that, and okay, not many of us have been thrown into a pit. I don't know how many of you are. I've never been thrown into a pit. Yeah, I've fallen over before, but I've never thrown, been thrown into a pit. I've, you know, my brother and my sisters have never tried to sell me or anything like that, yeah? I only have little things go wrong, but those little things mean a lot to me, yeah? And I would argue when I'm in my little things and I'm, I'm down, that, that it's, for me it's just like Joseph. Yeah, okay, his brother's trying to kill him. I've not had that, but my things are the same. Yeah, that's how we feel. And yet, we read in Job, because the Bible is not just one story that points to this. Job chapter 2, verse 10 after Job had lost everything, he says, and his wife says to him, which is the most natural response, Job, why don't you curse God and die? That's what his wife that was the advice his wife gave to him. Thank, my wife doesn't give me that type of advice, thankfully. Um, but that's what Job's wife said to him, and Job said to her in response shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, we live in a time where we only expect good from God. That if we receive trouble, we think that's this is the devil. Surely the devil's at work in me. If, if all this trouble's coming my way, that can't be God. We don't accept good from God. Or we can often only accept good from God. Too many of us, because we think like that, because we think it's only good we get from God and not trouble, we can bail out at the first sign of trouble. Because we think, oh no, this isn't, this isn't God. This can't be God. And we can think to ourselves, God would not be this hard. Surely. Yet the story of Joseph contradicts that. Joseph, in his moment of absolute distress, God is with him. God is with him. And that's really important, I think, for us to know. That truth, it emerges here. God was with Joseph in the trouble. Secondly, God wasn't just with Joseph, God was working in Joseph. Joseph. He was with him, but he was also working in him. And he wasn't working on his gift, he was working on his character. You see, God may have given you a gift. Some of you have got, have got gifts. Yeah, my wife and I, we have this little debate in our house about why our girls are so good at maths and science. Yeah? So all of them are quite good at maths and science. And we have this debate about whether that's from me or from her. Yeah? Which one of us gifted that? Now the truth is probably neither of us. It skipped a number of generations maybe because we're not particularly strong in those two, uh, in those two areas. Yeah? God may have given you a gift and sometimes you can think to yourself, it's all about honing the gift. Yeah? A bit like you know, I might be good at cricket and so you know, one of the things I have to do is I've got to practice to get better and so I practice my gift. And, and the Bible does talk about honing our gift but actually, when God gives you a gift, he gives you a gift. The issue is not about how well you mature in your gift. It's how well you mature in your character, because it's your character that will determine how well you use your gift. It's not your gift. If God gives you a gift, he gives you a gift. You know, if somebody gives me a, a Kindle, or my friend gave me a Kindle for, for Christmas last year, he didn't give me all the pieces of the Kindle to put together. Yeah? He gave me the Kindle. What happens is I need to learn how to use the Kindle, but I've got the Kindle. If God has given you a gift, the issue is not about practising your gift. How do I hone the gift that God's given me? I need to go on some courses to find out how I hone it. The issue is how well your character develops so that God can use you, use the gift that he's given. And we see that with Joseph. Joseph's, Joseph's interpretation of the dreams with his brothers was as accurate as his interpretation of the situation with Pharaoh. It wasn't that he had, he had got better at interpreting, he had just got more humble in his character, so in terms of how he did it. So we need to understand God was working in Joseph, in his character. He's not about positioning you for your gift. He's about working on your character. Why? Because God wants your gift to be used in the best way possible. And how does God function? He functions with grace and compassion. So when he gives you a gift, he wants you to use it in a way that's full of grace and compassion. But we don't begin like that. Yeah? In fact, if God doesn't work on our character, we become very prideful very quickly. And so God has to work on us. And so we find in those first three uh, situations that Joseph was in, that God is working on his character. And it's important because God is gracious. God is compassionate. Even though we sometimes think he isn't, he is. You, only, you just need to have a, a, a little bit more of a read of the scripture and you realise, oh, God is actually a gracious God. So when Joseph is in the prison and Joseph is in, um, is in Potiphar's house and it's all going wrong, the passage actually tells us the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him kindness. Oh, gosh, how can he have shown him kindness? Why didn't, if God was going to be kind, why didn't he make Potiphar's wife retract what she said? That would have been kind. That would have been kind. Why did he allow that to go through? Because that doesn't seem very kind. God was with Joseph. Why? Because He's working on his character. Yeah. So that when Joseph emerges, he emerges a very different person to the person who goes into the pit. When he when he gets exalted, he's very very different. I taught the other day, um, and although I, I don't know whether he's a professing Christian, but he is an amazing example of grace. Um, I talked the other day about Nelson Mandela. When Nelson Mandela came out of prison um, to to the world in in South Africa, it was amazing how gracious this man was. He did not go into prison full of grace, but he came out full of grace. I don't know whether he professes anything, but God certainly used him for that reason. God used him. So God was working on his character. Because that's what he's like. You see, when you're when God works on your character and you become humble, there's no battle with pride anymore. Yeah? God doesn't need to fight you for glory. Yeah, where you put yourself up, you know, oh in ministries, God's ministry. Yeah, we're just working together, me and the Lord. No. God, when God humbles you, he doesn't need to fight for glory anymore. He didn't need to fight Joseph. Yeah? Because he had worked on Joseph. So those two truths emerge before Joseph meets Pharaoh, and then two other truths emerge after Joseph meets Pharaoh. And they are these. First of all, this. God exalted Joseph. And you might think, well, that's a bit strong, you know. In Philippians 2, it talks about, you know, God exalted Jesus. Yeah? But let's be honest, God exalts Joseph. Joseph is in prison and remember he's been forgotten. Yeah, Those last two years in prison must have been the worst two years because probably by then he had lost hope. When the baker and the butler were in prison and they, he talked to them about their dreams, you, you know from what he says that he's thinking there's still hope here. Can you put a good word in for me please? Can you let them know that actually I'm in this prison I haven't done anything? I've done nothing to deserve this. Can you put a good word in for me? And the, and the butler goes, do you know what? I'll put a good word in for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. He goes out. He gets exalted back to his position. He's dancing around and he forgets Joseph. So at that point, Joseph is hopeless. There's no hope. So I wonder whether those last two years were years of a really dark place for Joseph because he didn't even have the hope that he had before that maybe he could get out. It was a hopeless Place, and yet it was in that place that God continues this work honing his character Joseph I'm going to need to do this work on you because when you come out there are are opportunities but there are dangers there's opportunities for you to do some amazing things but there are some dangers if I haven't worked on you for you to do some other things so God works in his heart so God exalts Joseph as I said before The only reason we know of the story of Joseph is because of chapter 41 of Genesis. It would have made no sense to include the story of Joseph in the way that they had done if he was never exalted to the place that he got exalted to because it was just another story. We would not have felt very hopeful had it ended with Joseph then died in prison. And we'd be like, oh my God, I don't want that. Why would I go through all of it only to die in the prison? The reason it's hopeful for us is Joseph doesn't stay there. He comes out, and it's what rem- makes remarkable. And that's why we look back at the story and we go, "Wow, this guy was sold by his brothers. He was, he was unjustly accused of something. He spends ages in prison for something he doesn't do. He gets forgotten there, and then he gets exalted like that. That's the story. That's the thing that we hold on to. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt, literally Overnight, that's why we're examined in the story. In literal terms, it was Pharaoh who exalted Joseph. But we know, don't we, it was God that exalted Joseph. God exalted Joseph. It is amazing when you read the story and you read about Pharaoh that Pharaoh is quite an amazing man, probably one of the greatest kings. And uh, it, there's no indicator that that, Joseph, that that Pharaoh was a Christian or that he loved God, he certainly acknowledged there's something about this man in whom is the spirit of God, which is often how people spoke about God when they weren't part of the people of Israel. They often talked about, it said of Daniel, is there anyone like this man who seems to have the spirit of the gods? Yeah, They don't understand all the language. They're not, they don't know they're talking about Yahweh, but they are. And so he recognises something in Joseph. He's secure enough, Pharaoh, He's secure enough to exalt him to a position where he gives him ultimate authority. What does he say to him? Only when it comes to the throne are we different. Only when it comes to that moment am I any am I greater than you? In every other way, you're greater. No one will lift hand nor foot until you say. I mean, that's like empower somebody like that. That's quite massive. Yeah. Most leaders are trying to find ways of keeping power, not give it away but pharaoh gives it away pharaoh recognizes something about joseph and about his role so that first truth god exalts joseph the second thing it's really simple god used joseph he used him now he uses him and it's almost it almost appears like an afterthought when it talks about joseph fed the world yeah but that's what happens In Egypt, there's food. Everywhere else, there's no food. Everybody around the world comes to Egypt for food. So, God had exalted Joseph, practically speaking, to feed the world. He was going to keep the world alive through this one man. Then you begin to think, oh, okay, I can understand now why God needed to work on him because the role he gave him was without equal in the whole of the world. I didn't have a lot of time to dig this week. But the interesting thing about Joseph is because he played such a pivotal role in ancient Egyptian history, um, ancient Egy- Egyptian history talks about Joseph. So he's not like a made-up figure. It's not that Andrew Lloyd Webber invented Joseph. Yeah, he didn't invent Joseph. Ancient Egyptian history talks about Joseph, talks about this man who had this responsibility for feeding people during a famine. It talks about it. You can date it. One story I heard when I was just uh, researching that was of this wealthy woman who who was trying to work out what did she need to give to Joseph in order to be able to get food. It wasn't easy. So God uses Joseph... To feed the world, practically, he also uses Joseph to fulfil the promise to Abraham of being a blessing. So Genesis twelve, what two to three, talks about God's promise to Abraham that you will be a blessing, and through you that I'll bless the world. Well, here is a in, a, in microcosm. Here is an example of fulfilment of that promise. But more than that. Joseph was also a type, a model, a mirror, a shadow of Christ. So we look at Joseph and we look at Jesus. And it's quite remarkable when we put those two together. You'll remember that Joseph begins with a, a, a message for his brothers. It's a prophetic message. He comes and tells his brothers, Oh, I, I I woke up this morning and I had a dream and you all went down and I went up. How bizarre. yeah? And then they get a bit annoyed, but it doesn't stop him. He comes again and he says, not only did you go down, but mum and dad, they went down and I went up. Yeah. So he brings a message to them. And what do they do about the message? They reject it. They get jealous and they decide to kill him. Then we find Joseph gets thrown into a pit. But they don't leave him there. What do they do? They get him out of the pit and they then go and sell him for 20 shekels of silver. They sell him. So he gets taken into prison. He gets taken to Potiphar's house. What happens at Potiphar's house? He's going there doing well, doing his work. Potiphar's wife harasses him. Having been harassed and rejected that harassment, she turns on him. She tells lies about him and as a result, he gets unjustly accused and thrown into prison. It's unjust. Joseph didn't deserve any of that, but that's what happens. In prison, he's there for many, many years, and it's, it's as though he lost hope. It was as though he was dead to the world in prison. And then, out of nowhere it seems, he gets taken out of prison and he gets exalted. Yeah? And I'm going to deliberately use this language. He gets exalted to the highest place. He could not have gone any higher. He was given a name above all the other names. He is told that when he walks through the streets of Egypt, people would bow the knee to Joseph. So we've got this man who ends up being sold over here and who at the end gets exalted to the highest place he could be exalted to, who's given a name above all other names and everyone is told to bow the knee to Joseph. Joseph. And he's given the ring of Pharaoh, which is a ring of authority. And what does he do? He saves the world. He saves the world. If you know anything of the Christian faith, you know that that story could apply thousands of years later to Jesus. You see, Jesus brings a message to his brothers. Yeah? He's a Jew. He brings a message to his brothers which talks about him being God. In in fact, in the end, they they, they recognise what you're saying to us, Jesus. You can read it in John, John, particularly John chapters 6, 7 and 8, where there's this sort of argument that he's having with the Jews, where they say, you're saying to us that you're God. They say that of Jesus. You're saying that to us that you're God. They get angry with him. They get so angry with him, they want to kill him. What happens? One of his disciples sells him for 30 shekels of silver. There's been a bit of inflation over the years. He gets sold for 30 shekels of silver. He gets unjustly accused. It's a sham trial in which he gets convicted and he is killed. Having been killed, and he goes down, the Bible tells us, into the depths. Three days later, he rises again. And what happens when he rises again? What does the Bible tell us? That he gets exalted to the highest place. He is given a name which is above every name, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Now, Joseph is given that power in the world. Yeah, he feeds the world. Jesus is given that power everywhere. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess on heaven, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's an uncanny parallel here. That God, even in this story of Joseph, is telling us something. He's telling us something about a much bigger story. He's telling us about the fact that his purposes are far, far bigger and far greater. And he's going to work them out in ways that we can't begin to imagine. So when you then look at Joseph and his problems, you realize, oh, how small they are. How small they are in comparison. And what does Jesus do? He saves the world. Yeah. That anyone, anyone who comes and confesses that Jesus is Lord it will be saved. That's what the Bible tells us. There's this uncanny parallel. You would think if they weren't true that someone had made that up. Oh yeah, no, but someone's just... No, but there's, there's, there's historical evidence that Joseph existed. There's historical evidence that Jesus existed, but there are thousands of years different. This is what God is like. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is carrying out his purposes. So in summary, I want to bring it right back. Because as I said at the beginning, the thing that I really want us to get through this series is that God is with you when it gets difficult. I want you to know that. I don't want you just to know that when you come to church on a Sunday. I want you to know that. yeah, That God is working in you, he is with you, and he's working in you. And that your, your, your part in it is not to try and find the easiest route through. Because we do that, I do that. We try and find the easiest way around life. You see, prior to Pharaoh, to move on to the next phase of his life, Joseph needed to gain a new perspective. A new perspective on how God uses circumstances and develops character to change him. He needed to develop that. Because he was never going to be exalted and used if that didn't happen. in both his circumstances and his character let's be honest joseph got hurt he would have been hurt by his brothers he would have been hurt by potiphar's wife and he probably would have been hurt by the butler he was hurt yeah he he not only did he have all those other things he's in prison he is just hurt yeah Because we all get hurt. And Joseph would have been hurt. He may have also felt that he was hurt by God himself. Because God had given him dreams and pictures, and here he was in prison. And he couldn't work it out. It did not make any sense. So he gets hurt. You see, if he had never dealt with his hurt... God would have still used him because, because he still brought the picture to the brothers. He's, he still worked hard and diligently in Potiphar's house. He, he still rose up in the prison. But he would never have got used to his fullest. He would never have emerged from the prison to be exalted if he hadn't dealt with his hurt. You go, oh, 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 oh hold on a minute, hold on. There's nowhere in the passage that talks about Joseph being hurt. I mean, we read about him being distressed, yeah? So I think we can read a little bit into that. He was distressed. There's nowhere in the passage. But I'm just talking about human nature. I'm just talking about the way we are. We get hurt. Joseph was hurt. In those final two years of prison, I wonder whether it was there that Joseph gained a new perspective. And it would have involved three things. It would have involved acknowledging God in the pain and the hurt. It would have involved forgiveness for those who hurt you. And forgiveness for those who hurt you involves this. It means you absolve them of blame. You absolve them of blame. You no longer think to yourself, the reason I'm here is her. It's still the reason I'm here. No, I I absolve her of blame. I don't absolve her of blame because I've become very self-righteous. I absolve her of blame because I recognise God is involved here. For whatever reason, I don't understand it, God is involved here. And so I acknowledge his involvement. And by acknowledging his involvement in my hurt and my pain, it makes it a little bit easier to forgive and to absolve. It's It's not about you. It's not about you. And then the third thing that happens is God heals you. So the equation is really simple. Joseph acknowledged and forgave. God healed. Now the reason I say that must have happened is because of the way Joseph responds later. It's obvious that Joseph, his heart has been healed. And he says when he names his children, God has helped me forget my suffering here in the land of pain, what does does it say? It says, God has helped me to forget my suffering. And then the second, he named Ephraim, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. He's acknowledging something. God has helped me forget. God has made me fruitful. This is so important that we get this as well. I think in that prison, Joseph got something. If I'm honest, I think in that prison, Nelson Mandela got something. I don't know what he he believed, but he got something. He understood something. And you know what? We need a new perspective. We need a new perspective to move on. Because the truth is, we've all been hurt you must remember there's a difference between hurt and sin. Yeah? Sometimes your hurt does not come out of sin. Sometimes your hurt just, just comes. Someone accidentally says something to you and it hurts you. They didn't mean it. It's not sin, but you get hurt. What you don't realise is unless you deal with that hurt, that hurt can, can almost become quite cancerous. It can grow. And, and, and then you function in a way where you avoid that, that thing that hurt you. Maybe you avoid that person. Maybe you hold something against them. You don't ever say anything, but you hold it against them. I'm a husband. Yeah? I've been married for 23 years. I'm a father of three girls, uh, three teenage girls. That should tell you everything about my world. And I'm a pastor of a church. And I know, because I've been in church for years, That when you're in that position, like if you like, I'm in a position of authority in almost every area of my life, um, without meaning to, you can hurt people. And you can be hurt by people. Yeah, Sometimes because we expect more of the church. We think, surely of all the places where I shouldn't be hurt, it's in the church. Surely the church is the one place where I should be able to go and everyone will just love me. And yet this guy said that and that hurt me. We have higher expectations when we come here than almost anywhere anywhere else. And do you know what we have higher expectations of our pastor? You said that to me. You. You're the pastor. Yeah. The pastor's not Jesus. So you get hurt. And I know, I've, I've said things and done things that have hurt people. To my girls, to my wife, to the church. You do that. And I've had things said to me and done to me that have hurt me. But like Joseph, if I'm going to move on, if I'm going to fulfil the purposes of God in my life to their fullest, I need a new perspective on hurt. Because if you don't get that, all that would have happened is God would have passed over Joseph and waited until somebody did get there. So unless we get there... God will pass over us and he'll wait till somebody does get there. You need a new perspective on hurt for God to use me and us to our fullest. And that new perspective involves acknowledging God in the hurt, forgiveness, absolving others of blame, and healing. It requires those three things. Two of them are in your hands. So that's what happened to Joseph before he met Pharaoh. And if we apply the same, when he met Pharaoh, why did God exalt Joseph? Well, simple really, because Joseph had been humbled. The Bible tells us, doesn't it, that, that God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble, he exalts those who, who humble themselves, And he humbles those who exalt themselves. So Joseph had been humbled. And because he was humbled, he was exalted. It's not just Jesus who humbled himself and was exalted. Joseph humbled himself and was, as a result, was exalted. And what that exaltation meant was this. What the humbling meant was this. Pride was no longer going to get in the way. God could be confident that when Joseph came out and was exalted, pride was not going to get in the way. That he was not going to become a man who filled the space himself. And it was going to become Joseph limited. It wasn't going to become that. He had become humbled. That's why he got exalted. Why did he use Joseph to his fillers? Because Joseph had become dependent. And that's really interesting because we live life and grow up fighting for, seeking and gaining independence. We raise our children to be independent. Yeah, that's what we do. We raise them, we, t- you know, we try and teach them to do things for themselves. Yet God, it functions the absolute opposite. God looks at you... And what he desires is more childlikeness in your faith, which means you become more dependent. You become less independent. You're not trying to do it for yourself or do it out of your own strength. You become less like that. So so we live in this world where we're teaching people practically to do this and God's teaching us to do something else. That's why in Romans 7, Paul gets confused. What I want to do, I don't do, and what I do, I don't want to do. Because there's this thing that's waging war within him. But Joseph had become dependent. That's why when you hear him speak on the later occasions, he says things like, I can't interpret your dream, Pharaoh. It's not me. He can. He can. I, I can't do it. He can. You see, Joseph was ready for God's way, not his own way. And again, that's a challenge for us because we live in a world where our, you know, we're very good, we're very, very resourceful. This church is full of very resourceful people. You know, we, Paulie and I were talking yesterday about you know, this church is full of people who are just far, far cleverer than me. I'm not very clever, really. This church is full of people who are very clever, very resourceful. Yeah, if, you, if you watched me for a week, you'd be disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> You'd be disappointed in how I live, how I sleep, and everything. You'd, just be dis- you'd think, oh, I thought my pastor was a bit... <laughs> Some people here are very clever, very resourceful. And that is great if all those gifts that God has given you come into this framework of dependence. You see, in God's after childlikeness. He's not after childishness. See there's a difference? Childlikeness is where you become dependent. Childishness is really about immaturity. Childishness is immaturity, childlikeness is dependence. God needs us to be childlike. Jesus says that. Unless you come to me like this little child. What's he saying? Unless you come to me dependent. Unless you come to me with with, with just simple faith. That's what he's saying. Joseph had become humbled and Joseph had become dependent. And as a result, he got exalted and he got used to his fullest. So I conclude with just a couple of questions for us to consider. A moment to reflect and we might sing a song. The question is this. Have you gained or are you gaining a new perspective on your hurt? Have you gained a new perspective on your hurt? Because we've all got hurt. And that perspective which leads to forgiveness and healing. Have you become truly humbled and dependent, which in time will lead to being exalted and used to your fullest. Now don't get me wrong, we're not all going to become Josephs. But in your life, in your place, in your space, God wants to exalt you and use you to your fullest. He wants to do that, he's waiting to do that. That's why Joseph's here. That's why this story is here, to help us. So how will we respond? Alicia, do you want to come up, Matt? Why don't we just bow our heads? We're going to pray. In some ways, this is a very personal thing because it is about you and it's about God. It's not about me. It's not even about sin. I'm not talking about sin. Some of you, this isn't about sin. There's a big difference between sin and hurt. Sometimes when you're hurt, you need to go and sort it out. But to be honest, the first place you need to sort it out is with him. You need to gain that new perspective. And you know when you've sorted it out because you will absolve others of blame. Just like Joseph, and we'll look at it in weeks to come, absolved his brothers of blame. You can see that he did that. He did that. He wasn't making it up. The Bible says he spoke kindly to them. So I suppose the real question for all of us is, do we want to be used by God to our fullest? Because you could say to yourself, yeah, I would love to be, but do you know what? This stuff is so deep, it's so painful, I'm not going to sort that. So I will, I will be satisfied with just being used in different ways. Because God will use you like he used Joseph. But if you want to be used by God to your fullest, you need to find this new perspective on hurt. Because hurt it's a, it's a distraction. Hurt behind hurt is pride, is independence. All those things that he that, that he doesn't need if he's going to use you. The reason Joseph was able to function with such grace later was because he had dealt with this stuff. So I just want to give you an opportunity just to pray, just in your own heart. And it might be that some of you need to do this, that you need to, just in your own prayers right now, you need to absolve some people of blame. Because in your heart you're saying, oh, I've, I've sorted that, I've dealt with that, that's, that's okay now, I've, I'm free from that. The freedom comes when you can absolve others of blame, when you're not holding on. You're not holding them by a chain. Because you still blame them for hurt, whether it's through circumstance or through character issues. We need to absolve others. You're free. In your heart, you just need to say, you don't, you don't even need to tell them, you just need to say in your heart, you're free, I forgive you. That's it, it's over. It's over. It's over. And I know for many of us, we want to be used by God to our fullest. So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll just sing this song. You don't have to, but if if you want to stand as part of this prayer in response in your own heart, then you can do that. But you you don't have to do that, because it's just between you and God and between me and God. Father, we come to you this morning and we recognise that you're just amazing. You're powerful. We, we, see, the, we see this example of, of Joseph and Jesus and the parallels in those two stories, thousands of years apart. And yet you seem to do in one what you did in the other. And it's one of the ways you demonstrate and show that you're just you're just out there above us, that, that that we can't even we can't compare ourselves, we can't limit you to our minds thinking, though we try. We have to go, do you know what you're just you're out there. And yet God, for whatever reason, you choose to work with and through people like us. That doesn't make any sense, to be really honest. It doesn't make any sense that you would do that because we are frail and weak and we get it wrong so often. But you choose to do that and we have to acknowledge that from the Scriptures. That's what you do. And so, Father, we just come to you this morning. And for many of us, there's been hurts and pains and nothing as dramatic as a prison or being sold into slavery or anything like that. And sometimes those things are embarrassingly small, but they're there. And we say, Father, I acknowledge you in the hurt. I acknowledge you in the pain. And by acknowledging you, God, I'm absolving anyone else of blame, anyone who may have caused that hurt. I'm absolving them of blame because I'm acknowledging you're in it, that you've got plans and purposes, you use circumstances To shape my character in order that I can be used to my fullest. So I absolve them of blame. I forgive them, God. I forgive them. And I receive your healing of my heart. Because some of us, it's our hearts that need to be healed. We've hardened our hearts because of hurt not even because of disobedience, because of hurt. And so, so, Father, I pray that you will free some hearts this morning, release some inner stuff, bring us to a place of freedom in you. In order that we can be used to our fullest, none of us might do what Joseph did, but all of us can fulfil the very purpose that you've called us for. We can be used to the fullest. We can be exalted as he was exalted. And in that exaltation, he was vindicated. That can come to us. And so we pray this in your name. Pray this in the name of your son, Father. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be present, healing the hurts, softening the hearts. Let's stand to sing.